When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ken Napsuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire, and we've been talking about our favorite scenes now for a couple weeks. I'm midway through season four, looking at my favorite scenes and moments. I want to hear yours. We have some from you guys on season four in the queue for today and this week, but I did want to talk a little news, a little news of Game of Thrones. We know that we've got a while to wait. Looks like 2019, there's no official confirmation of that for season eight, but they are shooting it now, and there has been more and more little news bites, little casting things, little tiny, little tiny moments uh, that have been uh, sneaking on out, and uh, some of them not, uh, not sneaking out like a, like a scoop or a leak, but little bits here and there, and TV Guide spoke to John Bradley, otherwise known to you and I as Samuel Tarley, and he had uh, something interesting to say about season eight and what we might be expecting. He says, each of the characters this year is placed in a completely alien environment at some point in the season that they've never been placed in before. He goes on to say the thrill of seeing how they react to it and how they respond. This season, I think, more than any other, is stretching these characters. And that's great as we go into the final season. It, uh, the article also, uh, I was reading on Entertainment Weekly, cites Jason Momoa, who predicted the final six episodes will be the, quote, greatest thing to ever air on TV. So... This is exciting to me. This is uh, interesting. It, it just means that, to me, that this is going to be a chaotic final season. This will be pure chaos. The Night King coming down in, uh, in his army, it should be that way, right? That makes sense. And it's fun to think, where are these characters going to end up? We've already seen Danny out of her element, even though you could argue she was back home, not just on Dragonstone, but when she takes that dragon north of the wall, we see what happens. Travels into a situation in an area she's not familiar with, she loses a dragon. Um, But I love this idea. The article that I was reading here in Entertainment Weekly immediately jumps to Cersei Lannister about, hey, she's someone who's been hidden in that red keep. What's gonna happen when she actually gets outside those walls? And that's actually true when you think about it. She's pretty much spent the entire show in King's Landing. Uh, Of course, she went north early on in season one, but she spends all that time working her magic down there in the capital, capital, which perfectly, you know, makes perfect sense, I should say. So uh, her, uh, Cersei, that's the most intriguing character in a different location that... uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to him. Now, Samuel Tarley is interesting because he's been almost everywhere. What What is the one area that might be uncomfortable for Samuel Tarley? I actually think it's going to where Cersei needs to leave. Sam at the Capitol. If he's got to take some of his knowledge and information and go meet with the bigwigs, whether it be Cersei, Daenerys, Jon Snow, doesn't matter. That's going to be someplace he's not really accustomed to. Yeah, he grew up at Horn Hill. He grew up as a little lordling. Um, but 
He hasn't been there in a while. He was never really comfortable, and this would be from a different position, kind of a position of power, so I like, like that idea. John Bradley also said that uh, Benioff and Weiss are feeling the fandom pressure to get the final season right, saying nobody cares more about the show than those guys. Um, I can't imagine the pressure. Cannot imagine the pressure. We as fans, not just in Game of Thrones, Marvel, DC, Star Wars, anywhere. Uh, Marvel TV, Marvel movies, doesn't matter. Passionate fandoms, just naturally, whether we mean to or not, and whether there's malicious intent behind it, we just put a lot of pressure on these properties and these creators. And wrapping up season eight, gonna be tough. Now, they have a story to work from. George R. R. Martin has taken care of some of the heavy lifting, but as we saw with season seven, they are in uncharted territory and they can face criticisms and barbs by people who think the show has lost its way or moved too far away from the books because it kind of had to because they, they could no longer be on that road. The map wasn't leading them anywhere. So there is still going to be tremendous pressure to stick this landing. I think they can pull it off, but I'm generally a pretty positive fan. What do you guys think about this news? What characters do you want to see in different spots? You know the drill. Call in. Let me know here on Daily Thrones. All right, if I'm talking favorite moments from season four, there's something I have to mention. Much like Joffrey's death, which we talked about yesterday here, it's just something I, I don't think I can't include when talking about my favorite moments and scenes. Now, this is, of course... Designed this list, this conversation I started a couple weeks ago with you guys, is designed for those smaller moments. Now, it can include big moments, and maybe it's a small thing in those big moments. In other words, I'm not just talking about Ned being beheaded. It's not just the Red Wedding. It is tiny little things that make the show, that make the characters. And I have to give credit to season four. It was the first time I think a lot of people felt... It went outside of the books, but in a way that invited certain criticisms. So we were talking about uh, the pressures that Benny F. and Weiss faced just earlier, and season four is when you really start to really started to feel that. Now, season one, two, and three had deviations from the books, big deviations at times, but you were you were rewarded for some of those. And other ones, I think, were so small and subtle that. Even hardcore book readers understood it. Now, there's always going to be some hardcore book readers of any series that are going to completely disagree with any kind of change. But that's just not the reality of, of movie and TV production. When you're making an adaptation, you're going to have to change some things. But season four, the mutineers and all those, how that played out, there was a lot of things in there that just seemed... Uh, questionable at times. Uh, Bran and Jon Snow almost meeting up there, uh, something I felt was a little weird. But I gotta say that uh, um, I loved, absolutely loved, when the baby, the last of Craster's sons, is put out there uh, for the White Walker to take. Uh, tense scene, uh, Rass going to do that, and um, the White Walker takes him all the way to what we believe would be the lands of always winter, to the lair of the Night King. Now, this is 100% show only. It's, it's not something that uh, we get to experience in the books yet. Uh, I, think, I think that's the, the way the others are, are handled in the books is 
It's perfect. It's it's George R. R. Martin. It's it's a shadow. It's a gloomy cloud that hangs over everything. But in the show, you kind of had to and have to remind everybody of the threat. I guess you don't have to anymore. We see it as a threat. The wall is down. But it 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 was a good reminder that everyone every once in a while we check back in and, and don't forget there is this threat north of the wall. There's kind of this bigger issue. The Night's, uh, the Night's Watch has their hands full and it's not just the wildlings. But the show does such a great job of it, of, of that kind of misdirect. Of, you have to worry about Mance Raider, not about the White Walkers. But here we have a White Walker taking the baby. We had seen this before, of course, uh, with equally chilling results. But you don't see much of it, just that the Night's Watch knows, Dior Mormont knows, Jon Snow found out. I love what this did to the mythology of the White Walkers, the others. This showed us something we hadn't seen before. Showed us uh, um, this process, added a, and, and while, while it revealed a lot, it also added to the mystery. Now we don't just have this question of who the White Walkers and how do they become White Walkers. We, we get the ultimate answer later on of how did they originally become it, but what is the purpose? Are they just killing Craster's kids? What is this? Is this a sacrifice? And, and it is uh, how they're growing their army. And then we have, we have more questions. So we get these answers, but now we have more questions. Is this the Night's King? It turns out it's the Night King. A little bit different. At least executed a little bit differently. Uh, even though it might be uh, the same reference from show to book. Uh, and then you have, you know, you have t- it's his 12, uh, 12 rulers, the 12 uh, generals or, uh, or seconds in command, if you, if you will. They're sitting there. Where is this? How far is it? Because Craster's keep is not that far from the wall. How far are they marching out? And is the Night King's Lair closer than we think? A lot of big questions, and I love it. It's one of those things where I was like... A little upset with some of the changes, or a little confused about the mutineers and what was going on, and that came came along. I was like, you know what? I'm okay. You want to change things from the book? Add things in. If it's like this, I'm all on board. It's one of my favorite moments. Let's talk more about season four and your favorite moments here on Daily Thrones. Hey Ken, moving on to season four favorite moments. Um, this may be an odd one. It says a favorite moment, but. Um, it was such a great scene. Uh, it's it's the mountain versus the viper. Um, I was so looking forward to this scene to see how it was going to be shot and how well it was going to be done on the show versus in the book. Uh, it seemed like in the book it was it was a quick uh, little fight. It was a quick moment. It didn't seem to take that long. Um, but man, did it did not disappoint in the show. Um, there was so obviously a very heavy moment and. It, every time I watch it, you never forget Alaria's scream. You never forget Oberyn's screams. And it's just, you get goosebumps just thinking about it. And it was just so well done by the show creators. And then you see Tyrion's face. And it looks like he's just about to throw up after he sees what happened. Um, really, really powerful moment in the show. Uh, hard to rewatch, but it's kind of, it's, you can't help but rewatch it because it was so well done. All right, if we're talking season four, much like I had to talk about Joffrey's death, and I think I had to talk about the first real view of the Night King, we do have to talk about the Mountain and the Viper. The entire sequence, one of the best of the series. The entire story arc of Ober Martell is one of the best in the series, and Jeff calls in with uh, a focus on the little moments in that big moment. Uh, when, again, we're starting this discussion, it is... It is about the little moments, not necessarily all the big events. And Mountain and Viper 
that's a big event, but it is so good, as in every sequence in Game of Thrones, but it's so good because it is built upon the strength of little, tiny, intimate moments. And Jeff was talking about that, the looks, the screams, the tension, Tywin not quite knowing what's going on, Cersei not going on, Jamie Lannister almost celebrating, uh, t- trying to contain his joy, thinking that the Red Viper was going to win uh, because uh, it would save his brother. Like, this, all that is at play there, and I, I really enjoy it. It's a great moment. And, Jeff, you, you broach a subject that I don't think uh, we talk a lot about on here on Daily Thrones is that Oprah Martell is better in the show. I just believe that. I had finished A Storm of Swords. And then go into watching season four, excited for the Red Viper, knowing what's coming, but almost unsure of the character because it just didn't stand out to me. Now, I will admit, sometimes when you're reading the Song of Ice and Fire book series, it can get a little dense. It can get a little thick. And so even the first time around, you might miss a lot of little details. And the second time around, it it might seem even not as vibrant as it might be because you, you might – on that particular day that you're reading a chapter, you might – your mind might drift. And if you drift for a second, if you drift for a paragraph while reading a Game of Thrones book, you can be lost. And I think I just lost a lot of Oprah Martell in the book. It didn't stand out to me as much. The show comes along. Pedro Pascal comes along and just launches this character into the stratosphere. And that also made the uh, moment, his death, his near, near successful vengeance, um, all of it made it work. And I do think it jumps off the screen more than it jumped off the page. I could be wrong. Maybe Jeff's wrong. Let us know politely. But that's where I come down on that. Great discussion, guys. Uh, thanks for the call, Jeff. More calls coming. If you've got a, a favorite moment, a scene, a little tiny thing that stands out to you. We're, we're in season four, but any season's fine. You know what to do. Thanks to, the, to those that listen on the daily podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. That's it for now. We'll talk to you. See you. This is Daily Thrones.